Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore what's happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. I am so pleased because an LCC alum just happened to be in town, I think for the first time in about 10 years. So I'm taking full advantage of inviting our guest today, Rudy Valdez, filmmaker, theater alum, Emmy Award winner, to this podcast. Rudy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And I, I didn't realize what a great sort of radio voice you have until I just heard it on these headphones. It's really Until cool. you heard me on radio, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in real life, it's a little different. I know. I love headphones and microphones. There's something really just wonderful that they do for your voice. Other guest uh, is Andy Callis, who is a theater professor. He ran the theater studio program when Rudy was a student here. So these guys go way back and have a good history of their time both as a teacher and as a learner. And I, um, there's so many ways we could start this conversation. Rudy, I know you have a lot of projects going on, but I kind of want to just throw it open to you two first to, to share just a little bit about your history in the classroom and on stage together here at LCC. Thanks, Melissa. It's great to see you today and Rudy. Um, Rudy was in the first class that I taught. Uh, the very first one at uh, LCC, he stood out right away with the improvs. And I remember we, we had a, it was like, do a statue of anger. And Rudy looked at it when we were all done. And it's like, oh, the Lansing Eastern Cafeteria. And, uh, but he was, he was wonderful uh, and was a great actor in his time here. And I just want to say your voice, hearing it now, it's exactly how I remember it. Just really <laughs> difficult to listen to, uh, kind of upsetting. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, Andy was the um, was my instructor in my when I did the studio program over at here at LCC, and uh, you know he. He really got to know me when I was kind of figuring myself out creatively, which was uh, a lot of fun here. And it was such a wonderful time in, in my kind of realizing that I am a storyteller and, and that I can maybe do this. It was when I started to, to realize that. So it was, a, it was a very interesting time. I love that. And I, one of the opportunities for us here was to have you talk with a class of theater students acting for the camera and listening to you share your path. Um, I think for our listeners, it'd be great to just hear a little bit about that. What drew you to theater in the first place, but then what led you to discover that filmmaking is the way that you really uh, can make an impact telling stories? Yeah, it's such a crazy answer because I don't fully know that answer. I know what made me shift, what made me become a filmmaker, but I don't know what made me think I could do it. I moved to New York to be an actor, to be a writer, to, to do all those things. And, and I did that for a while. And I had a show that I wrote that traveled around a bit. And, um, and I was really out there just sort of trying because, you know, when, when I was here at LCC and then I eventually transferred to Michigan State, um, you know, I, I'm somebody who always tries to look at the long road. You know, I, I, don't, I don't try to say, like, how am I going to figure this out tomorrow? I try to look at, like, the, I play the long game and everything. And, you know, thinking about the long game, 
I know people in my life and in, in, in that, I, that I listen to that have been mentors and that uh, tried to learn from. And one of the things that, you know, I used to hear a lot was I could have done this. I, I probably could have done this and I could have done this. And I thought, I don't ever want to have probabilities or questions about what I could have done. And, and so I, I moved to New York with the idea of chances are I'm probably going to fail and not be able to do this, but at least I'll know. At least I'll know if I if 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 this isn't going to work out, or you know, I I didn't want to continue with doubt, and that's sort of what drove me to go. That's so important, I think, because there's so few guarantees in theater and in performance. It's a very vulnerable and risky profession in the first place to try and and succeed. So you have to have an understanding of what is failure. How do you define that, and how does that impact you as a human being? How do you pursue through that? Yeah, that's, I mean, one of the biggest lessons that I learned in, in theater, in writing, in comedy, in film, in, is understanding your relationship with failure, truly. I failed a lot. I still fail all of the time. And uh, I, it's, a, it's one of those things that you sort of become numb to because you can't, I, you know, I know so many extremely talented people who had one little tough break and you see it affect them and you see it affect their momentum. And that happened to me a lot early on. And I kind of eventually created this relationship with failure that was like, this isn't me failing and and having to stop. It's me understanding what worked even within that failure and what I can move forward and how I can continue to grow from that. But, um, you know, I, I always try to tell that to kids that I mentor, to my own children, to, you know, classes I talk to. It's like, you, you have to fail. You know, if, if you're not failing, you're not growing. You know, it means you're not trying new things. And that's what we should be doing as storytellers, as as innovators, as as people who are trying to put something different out into the world. The only way we know that is by testing boundaries. And testing boundaries means failing. Right. You know, and it's I, I, I attribute so much of that back to first semester with Andy in LCC. Improv is constant trial and error, constant. And understanding that this Improv may not work, but I'm going to take a freaking swing at this. And maybe they're not going to laugh. Maybe they are. But you know what? I'm going to get back in the next game and I'm going to try again. And I started honing that even back then. So, um, you know, all of these moments, even though I'm, I'm a filmmaker now, I'm not an actor. All of the things I learned at LCC, in the theater, and in all of the plays and everything that I did, it, it all adds up to ultimately being a storyteller. And, you know, none of the time was wasted. It, it all built me to be the storyteller that I am. That's wonderful. Well, you tell a lot of stories and multiple projects completed and in the works. The the sentences, the one um, that I know we've, we've shown here on campus and has been shown in the community and that uh, uh, was a Sundance winner and an Emmy winner and HBO has that. But I think Andy has an interesting question that he brings to this, also the standpoint of choosing plays. Andy? Well, it sounds like you're very busy and inundated with projects. I was wondering if you you have a conscious criteria that you use when you get offers to be on projects, or if a lot of it's intuition. I, I notice in a lot of the things that I've seen, there's a, a theme of compassion that runs through and struggle through adversity, that runs through 
we are the Brooklyn Saints and and the Sentence and uh, the Thirty for Thirty. I forget the name of that, but Breakaway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, your your criteria now that your um, maybe not things are coming to you rather than you. Uh, seeking out things, or is is that a misconception? Are you still seeking out your own projects? How do you choose now what to be involved in? That's a great question, and that's something that has truly evolved uh, since the sentence and, and before that. I will say that I lead in my career with the idea that I'm not willing to be in it at all costs. You know, I, I'm not here to just do anything I possibly can to remain working as a filmmaker and you know that sounds maybe pretentious maybe all these things but like I I have after the sentence came out I struggled with the idea that people might think this is all I do the sentence encapsulates everything that I am as a as a storyteller as a filmmaker and that that's what what is going to happen and it was a little bit crippling to me right after that happened because everything that came to me post the sentence was here's another prison doc here's another prison doc here's another crime thing here's another prison doc can you do a follow-up to the sentence can you do this and I thought to myself if this is what I have to do to continue to work in this field then I don't think I'm going to do it anymore and I legitimately was planning on not making another film on saying I'm going to transition to something else and I'm going to figure something else out and that's for a lot of reasons you know I struggled a ton post the sentence because I questioned documentary. I question it to this day. I question every project that I do because we strive as, as journalists, as documentary filmmakers to tell true stories that honor and, and uphold the uh, journalistic integrity of, of what we're doing. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the simple placement of a camera in a room changes that room and changes that atmosphere. And so it's something that I constantly struggle with it is, am I affecting the story too much? Am I changing the story too much by simply being there? And does that turn into exploitation? And those are things that weigh very heavily on me, especially because my first film was about my family, you know, and I wanted so badly to not exploit them. I wanted to share their story and, you know, tell a story not of a family falling down, but a family standing up. To me, that's that's a much more interesting story. And so I waited a little while post the sentence and uh, I, I sought out different projects and different things that I, I had interest in. And they were very different from the sentence on purpose. And a lot of people at the beginning were like, no, you're probably going to want to do another crime thing. You're probably- and so, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I, I, I'm not going to. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a, a producer who I give a ton of credit, I don't want to name names, but they came to me and, and they actually came to me before I made the sentence and said, because at that time I was a cinematographer and a producer and, and she came to me and said, are you a director? And I said, why do you ask that? And, you know, and they had noticed in some of the things that I'd been shooting and things I've been working on, common threads throughout them. And she said, I think, I think you're a director. And this is before the sentence came out. And then the sentence came out and then she came to me and she was like, I have something different for you. And will you take a look at this? And, you know, and it was a different story from the sentence. And, and it really, you know, to me, that was one of the most important projects because, which was the Brooklyn Saints, it was one of the most important projects because it was very different from the sentence in almost every way. And I remember telling uh, my editor at the time, Beery, I was like, this just cannot suck. And she was like, why not? I was like, because this is, this is 
it's different. And it's me showing that I can tell a different kind of story in a different genre, in a different format with people who aren't my family. It was the real gut check for me to understand that I'm a storyteller. And then if you look at my my credit list, they're very different. They're, you know, I, I do sports. I've done sports documentaries. I've done crime documentaries. I've done documentaries about theater. I've done documentaries uh, about music, musicians, and, and all of them do have a common thread, and that is humanity and empathy. You know, for example, the Brooklyn Saints is about a football team in East New York, Brooklyn. And when you hear about East New York, Brooklyn, what you hear about is gangs and murder and poverty and drugs and how difficult and, and all of these things. And we hear those things because there is truth to that, 100%. But I know that there are other truths there as well. I know that people there do not need to be represented by the tropes and, and all the things that go into where they come from. I wanted to tell it from the reverse side and tell the other truths. So I didn't go in with the idea of this is going to be a poverty porn uh, poverty stricken woe is me film about these kids who are just trying to make it despite all the things like no these kids are great the organization is great the coaches are great the parents are great they can be great without an asterisk mm. you know I grew up in in sports and I grew up not in East New York but I grew up in lower income underserved communities and that could have very well been painted in a, in a portrait of like what was me and I'm in a, I'm a victim and all these things. But like, no, I saw beauty and I experienced beauty and I experienced love and I experienced all of those things. So I wanted to show that there because I, I, I say with projects like that, I'm there to tell the truth, maybe not the truth that you think you know, but I'm there to tell other truths. And that goes into every single project that I do. And when I'm picking them, you know, honestly, the evolution of getting married and having kids, because these things take so long and I, and I work so hard in them, I really think about my, my wife and, and my kids first because I spend a lot of time traveling and away from home and I want my kids to understand at one point, like daddy was gone because he was trying to put something great into the world. He was trying to tell a story that can, that can change perspectives and understand that people are complex and, and can have different versions of what people think they are. Not to say other forms of this media aren't great, but I really try to ground the things that I work on and things that I believe in and that I'm proud to put out into the world. There's a, a lot of jazz listeners on uh, the station here, and uh, I was reminded of one of the projects you uh, worked on. So people have an idea of the breadth of the kinds of things you worked on. Uh, you worked on a project with uh, Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock, and Wayne Shorter passed away. Yeah. And you said they were doing a Miles impersonation. So. Yeah. The, so I have to say, when I did that project, I was invited to go to Osaka, Japan for International Jazz Day a few years ago. And to say I was a jazz fan would have been a complete lie. Like I had certainly heard jazz in my life, but I wasn't. I wasn't an expert in it by any means, but I was invited to go and make a behind the scenes documentary and like work on the show. And I found myself on stage, you know, testing my camera and things like that as like Herbie Hancock walks up to the piano and Wayne Shorter's sitting there and Esperanza Spaulding and Gregory Porter. And to be honest, I didn't know who many of them were. And one of the people who brought me there, one of the producers was looking at me bug eyed. And I was like, what is everyone looking at me? Because I was just sitting there with the camera kind of filming them. They're, this like little jam session starts, this impromptu jam session. And all of these 
world-renowned jazz artists just start walking on the stage with their instruments. And I just am filming because it's like I'm there to film. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, you shouldn't, and, and like, if I'd known who they were, I'd probably be like, okay, I'm going to step away and not do this. But I was like, I'm here to film, so I'm going to film people. Um, and I bet you, I bet what you got was wonderful. It was beautiful. I, I wish I had the footage. It all went to the producers. Mm. But for a week, I, I was just able to hang out with, I went with Wayne Shorter over to um, the Osaka College because they have a whole jazz session there like a, a school there and he went to speak and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life like riding over in a car with Wayne Shorter who I was getting to know on the way there and we we get there and I remember I'll never forget he sits down and the moderator comes up and asks so Wayne what brings you to Osaka and he spoke for like an hour and 30 minutes and she never said another word and it was such a, a roller coaster of knowledge and and true wisdom and there were times and I was like what is he talking about like what is going on because it goes in these like tangents and things but he would always like draw the 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 crowd back a little bit with something and then he'd go in these tangents and then at the end he says this sentence and it just encapsulates everyone and I was like this is jazz like he, he literally lived and spoke jazz you know all in so it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life just to be around people who are just so in tune to, to all of those frequencies that I, that were, that were so foreign to me. You are also working on, or, or perhaps have completed by now, another documentary on a musician, you know, just one, I'm going to ask, uh, I don't even need to ask. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah. So I uh, have been fortunate enough to um, have just shot and directed the Carlos Santana documentary. You know, they'd been trying to make a, a documented with Carlos for a long time and the stars sort of aligned and I was brought in to meet with him and luckily everyone agreed that I was the one who should direct this and I'm really excited about the the film and I think that you know much like a lot of my other projects I tried to figure out what this what my lens into it was and why I should be the one to tell it and what possibly sets it apart and you know I think that again like most of my stories it's it's not this a victimhood story of a musician. It's about a, a somebody who believed in themselves. It's about somebody who put it all on the line and and went, af, went after their dream and is truly great. You know, truly sacrificed a lot to become the person that he became. And and he saw that at a very early age what he could possibly do and what he knew he was going to be. So it's a story of that. And you know, there'll be things that you recognize. There'll be things, obviously, songs that you recognize and moments in history like Woodstock that you recognize, but I, you know, I tried to tell a complete story of the, of the man, of the person, of who he is as a human being and, and what it's like to be in a room with Carlos. Yeah. So uh, I hope, I hope it resonates with people. That's great. I'm looking forward to that. So Andy, you had Rudy talk with your acting for the camera students. What were you hoping might rub off on them? Oh, I think what Rudy had to say was a great thing for them to hear. Because they're they're just which which was about developing a kind of a resilience and not taking rejection so uh, personally uh, when they start out, and that was great for them to hear. I think having that come from somebody like Rudy who's had so much success, it is I think kind of reassuring 
for them. I, I forget the exact phrases he had, but it was, you could almost see their shoulders relaxing a little bit. Like, okay, I don't need to, you know, in the next year, <laughs> get to this. When he talked about the amount of time he spent. Right, that it took, you yeah. spent at least nine years and, and a number of years working as an unpaid intern in order to get the film experience, the the variety of film experience that even though you didn't know that you would end up doing what you're doing now, but but you were committed to that. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Um, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned truth before because I think a lot of it circles back to that for, for young people, for anybody to find their truth. Often as a young person, that's, that's really hard, especially we're bombarded with so many images of success, which may or may not be real, but it's, it's hard to kind of decipher. And as Andy said, the relaxation, when you shared that, uh, that sigh of relief, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to be perfect right away. And it kind of ties back to failure too. But I thought you had a really great way of drawing their attention calmly and where they started out kind of bouncing off the walls a little bit. Pretty soon they were, they were listening to you. And that's, very powerful. Did you have someone who played that role for you when you were early on or even, you know, at, at other stages? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that as I have grown in, in my life and in, in career, uh, I, I look back on early on when I was when I wanted to be an actor and a writer and, and even early on when I was diving into filmmaking, one of the things I like to to do with people who are interested in, in any of these creative fields is try to demystify what it means because growing up here in Lansing being an actor being a filmmaker being any any of those things felt like such a far away thing it felt like something that was so unattainable that even when I went to New York I was like I'm here but like the people who are doing it are are these different people who come from different places that I'm never going to be able to infiltrate and you know slowly but surely I was able to build networks and build a career that slowly allowed me to get into different rooms and meet different people. And one of the things that I first started to notice as I started to meet these people is they're people. They're human, just like me. They have insecurities. They have things that they are still working on. They are not perfect. And the other thing I started to understand as I got to know some of these people and some of them are my friends now and, and, I, and I get to understand their history and where they come from is that there isn't a roadmap. There isn't anything that I could go and tell any of the students in that class and say, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to make it. And I think that that's both a little frustrating, but also like, at least for me, it alleviated my stress of saying, well, I didn't go to this college. I didn't go to this film school. I hadn't had a film made by the time I was 24. I didn't do that. As soon as I started to realize that we all have our own paths, I was like, okay, I'm running my own race. And that's what I want people to, especially people who are wanting to go into these fields is like, you're running your own race. It's, it's a marathon against yourself, truly. And the finish line is, is your finish line. Like you, you just keep on going. There's no 
you don't have to do something by a certain time or age or, or, or whatever. And, and I think understanding what success means, I mean, there are so few people who actually make a living doing this. And right. That was my first marker of quote unquote success way before I won the Emmy, way before any of these other things happened. You know, I was on a panel one time and they were like, with your recent success. And I said, and, 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 you know, we were doing a panel in front of a bunch of students and a bunch of, you know, people who wanted to work in the field. And they said, with your recent success after the, you know, 12 years of, of doing all the stuff. And I said, I appreciate what you're saying, but we need to back up a little bit because we're, we're telling everyone in this crowd that success means winning an Emmy. I was like, that's great. I'm grateful that I did that. I'm grateful that I have my experience. It is certainly a, 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 an amazing acknowledgement, but success for me came about seven years before that, eight years before that, when I could look at myself and say, I'm a filmmaker. I'm paying my bills and I'm, I'm paying my rent and I'm living my life by telling stories, by being involved in that process. That was success for me. That's beautiful. And it's not, it isn't holding the award in your hand. It's not that single moment. It's all the moments because that's our life. Our yeah. life is, is full of moments. But speaking of moments, our moments together on this podcast yeah. are coming to an end. Um, but what beautiful, wonderful advice, because we each do need to find our own path and our own inevitable finish line. And it's so hard not to compare. And so thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom that you found. And uh, I know you've got a show coming up. We're going to bring you back on to talk about coconuts. <laughs> and thanks to Andy Callis, theater professor and mentor of many, and to Rudy Valdez uh, for joining me today. And thank you all for tuning in uh, to connect with me or our guests. Visit lccconnect.org, where you'll find this information in the notes for this episode. You'll also find other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming. Special thanks to our technical producer, Dedalian Lowry, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason public school students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. This is a public service announcement test from TakeMeFishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water. Let's begin. Are you a bear? Do you have a beak? Does your name rhyme with old beagle? Do you dart in front of cars? Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? 
Do you have fur? I'm not talking back here. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org. Feeling froggy? Well, leap into 20-plus podcasts at lccconnect.org. LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. Listen to this program and many others on demand at lccconnect.org. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. This morning, my daughter was singing Ordinary People by John Legend, and now that song is stuck in my head. I guarantee you've heard of it. We're just ordinary people, we don't know which way to go. Cause we're ordinary people, maybe we should take it slow. Take it slow, oh, 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 oh. This time we'll take it slow. But my kid was singing with cybersecurity words. Something like this. We're just ordinary people, going fast and getting scammed. Cause we're ordinary people, maybe we should take it slow. Take it slow, oh, 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 oh. This time we'll take it slow. Obviously, the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So welcome to the Safety Plan Show. Here's the format. I will describe a real-world cyber scam like phishing or, you know, IRS imposter scam or scareware, one of the many other cyber scams. I will then explain why it could happen to you and finally how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the Safety Plan episode? First, as a leader, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so that hopefully you can become inspired by it. Second, a community knowledgeable on cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And finally, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or company or local community college more secure. Win, win, win. So I'm Paul Schwartz. I work at LCC as the Director of Information Security, and I coordinate security issues for the college. Things like reviewing emails for legitimacy and implementing projects to improve the college's security and proactive phishing our employees and training them on cybersecurity. I've worked in cybersecurity for 27 years, including 20 years in the Air Force, before ending up at LCC. I have a corner office at work, so people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Now, Today's topic is going to be on gas pump skimming, a form of credit debit card compromise. 
Back in October of 2021, Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development found credit card scammers at eight different gas stations in the state of Michigan. Two were in the Lansing area, one on the west side and one on the east side. Now, gas pump skimmers are small electronic devices, otherwise known as card readers, that can be illegally attached to payment terminals at gas pumps. And they could be inside stores or also at restaurants and so forth. Gas card pumps are targeted because they are unattended. Experienced criminals can install a gas pump skimmer in under one minute. They first began to appear around 2015 and have grown exponentially since. Skimmers come in all shapes and sizes and varying degrees of complexity. These card readers grab data off a card or a debit card's magnetic strip without your knowledge, which gives fraudsters full name on the card, the credit card number, and the expiration date. Criminals sell this stolen data or use it to buy things online and create cloned bank cards. You won't know your information has been stolen until you get your statement or an overdraft notice. Once they retrieve your credit card info, these skimmers wait months, sometimes years, before they use the info to purchase items. Now, let me talk about what gas stations are doing to prevent credit card skimming. So first of all, they have gas pump door stickers. Now, these are the little stickers, these little seals they put over the doors. And when you open the door, it breaks the seal. And even some stations now have a warning signal that goes off inside the store when the door to the gas pump is open. Now, their gas stations are also putting up cameras monitoring the gas pumps. They're even doing inspections on the gas pumps, opening them up and looking inside of them. The cashiers at these gas stations, although sometimes minimum wage jobs, are watching and looking for these scammers and watching the gas pumps. And these gas stations are also trying to use better locks on these gas pump doors. And maybe even two locks that need two people to open the gas pumps. However, it's impossible, even with all these things that gas stations are doing, it's impossible to avoid gas pump skimming. And here's why. Let me tell you what the criminals are doing. So criminals are putting skimmers directly over the gas pump or ATM readers. They could also be putting uh, what they call a card shimming device, which are paper-thin strips hidden inside the card slot. So now instead of putting it on the device, they're actually going inside the device. And these shimming devices can be used to clone the magnetic strip on your card, but only if the bank issuing the chip card hasn't implemented the EMV standard. So they're targeting chip-based credit and debit cards. A shimmer is named as such because it acts like a shim sitting between the reading device and the chip on the card that you insert. Or criminals could be using a combination, say a combination of a card reader and say a camera attached to the device or somewhere near the gas pump to record your ATM pin and passcode. Criminals may also be installing fake keypads uh, on top of the keypad or in replacement of the keypad or a credit reader extension. Skimmers may also be inside the machine. So these may have uh, the universal key or the key to the gas pump door, which if you will look on eBay, you could do a search for universal key for gas pumps. And so they use that to open up the door of the gas pump and put their skimmer inside the pump. As I mentioned before, the gas stations place this tamper-resistant seal on the door, which usually look like a piece of red tape. Criminals might use their own tape, their own tamper-proof tape, to replace the tape once they open those gas pump doors to make it look like it hasn't been tampered with. And after the scam has begun, 
thieves will typically return to the scene from time to time in order to retrieve their skimmer you know, information. However, there are also ways for thieves to use Bluetooth or cellular technology to retrieve this credit card information from the, the skimming device without even having to be there. Okay, so what should you be doing to prevent this gas pump skimming? Only stop at busy, well-lit, and well-maintained gas stations. Since these would rather stay out of sight of the employee inside the store, they will usually install a skimmer farther away from the store in the windows to stay out of sight of the cashier. That means the gas pump closest to the store is more likely to be safer to use. Make sure the gas pump panel is closed, locked, and doesn't show signs of tampering. Many stations now put security seals over the cabinet panels, and if that pump panel is open, the label will read void after they try to reapply it. Look at the card reader itself. Does it look different than any other readers at the station? Look for hidden cameras above it, little tiny pinhole cameras or false shades above the screen of the pump. Try to wiggle the card reader before you put in your card. If it moves, report it to the attendant. Then use a different pump. If the keypad looks thicker than normal, wiggle that too and check it to see if it comes loose. If you use a debit card at the pump, run it as a credit card instead of entering a PIN. That way the PIN is safe and the money isn't deducted immediately from your account. Or you could have a second credit card for the gas purchases, you know, beyond your ATM card. You could pay cash and ask for the receipt or just pay inside rather than at the pump. How about this? Use mobile payment options like Google Pay or Apple Pay if they're an option. Some newer pumps may also have encrypted credit card readers. Look for an illuminate green lock symbol near the credit card reader to signify this. Now, you should also monitor your credit card and bank accounts regularly to spot unauthorized charges from, say, a skimming scam event. There are also skimmer detectors for smartphones. One's, one I looked up was called the Skimmer Scanner. Now, this app will scan the immediate area for Bluetooth devices that some thieves use to skim your card information. And this is not foolproof because perhaps they'll pick up wireless headphones or other Bluetooth or low-energy devices, or maybe this, this skimming device doesn't have Bluetooth technology. Maybe it uses cellular or maybe it has direct access. Here's another important thing. Be sure to cover the keypad with your hand to block any potential cameras from seeing your pin code. Although I've read uh, some research about experiment where they had artificial intelligence program look at the camera a video and it could predict your pin based on the movement of your arm and hand. You're going to have to move your hand pretty wildly as you cover it while you're typing in your, your pin. So after you've become a victim of gas pump skimming, if your credit card has been compromised, report it to your bank or card issuer. Federal law limits your liability if your credit, ATM, or debit card is lost or stolen, but your liability may depend on how quickly you report the loss or theft. Second, if you get a notice of a purchase you didn't make, you can contact your credit card company and stop any other transactions quickly. Work with the fraud department to resolve this issue. Next, notify law enforcement and file a police report if you've been a victim. Next, file a complaint with the MDARD. That's the Michigan Department of Agricultural and Rural Development Weight and Measures. They're the ones that do the inspections and follow up on these scams. Limit your use of a debit card because the money comes out of your account immediately is much harder to get back. And next, you may want to consider putting a freeze on your credit report to ensure no new accounts are opened in your name. And finally, continue to monitor all of your accounts and check your credit report to watch for unusual activity. 
that's a wrap of today's safety plan episode if you have questions or have been a victim of a cyber scam tell me about it by emailing lccinfosec at lccedu you can find more information at lcc.edu connect this episode of the safety plan was recorded by paul schwartz in the tlc tower in downtown lansing community college and produced by lane ingram and engineered by big d today I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. So long. This is LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. And when assistance is needed, tutoring is available to all students. Resources include quick print stations, chemistry and anatomy models, microscopes, and several other tools to help students. Tutors may also be available for pre-scheduled after-hours appointments. To find out more about tutoring services, visit lcc.edu tutoring. Keep yourself connected with what's happening in mid-Michigan by joining us for Community Convos, a show from LCC Connect where we talk with the people who put the festive in our festivals and those that give traction to our attractions. Find out who's on the combo and listen on demand at lccconnect.org. Hi, my name's Bob. Hi, Bob. Bob. So I see this ad on TV. It says I can reduce my debt by 50%. So I call. They told me to stop paying my bills, stop talking to my creditors. It didn't seem right, but they said they'd take care of everything. I gave them thousands of dollars, but most of it went to their fees. Getting out of debt is neither quick nor easy. There are those who will tell you anything just to win your trust. Sounded perfect. I did everything they told me to do. They never paid my creditors. They didn't even contact them. Turns out I'm even more in debt because the fees and the interest on my cards kept piling up. Bad advice from so-called experts can make your financial situation worse. And the bank turned me down for a mortgage. And that's when I realized my credit was shot. I should have gone straight to my creditors to begin with. There is a better way to get help. Talk to your creditors directly or to find a nonprofit agency near you. Visit debtadvice.org. Debtadvice.org. Real solutions for real people. This has been a public service message. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Greetings and welcome to At Home with Economics. I'm your host, Bo Garcia, Dean of Community Education and Workforce Development at Lansing Community College. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. Today we'll be interviewing my colleague and friend, Lee Gardner, Director of the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College. Welcome, Lee, and thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bo. Well, Lee, before we get started, Lee's a graduate of Holt High School, grew up here locally. He's an LCC alum spending his first two years after high school at LCC prior to transferring to Michigan State, where he picked up a BA in English education and later an MA in composition and rhetoric from Central Michigan University. He has over 10 years experience teaching composition and business communication as a faculty member at various community colleges and universities in Michigan, including Delta College, 
Central Michigan University, and Ferris State University. And prior to coming to LCC, Lee spent the last seven years with Dark Container Corporation in Mason, Michigan, in the account management, sales, and training and development areas. He has been with LCC for a year and a half as director of the Job Training Center. Again, welcome, Lee. And as we begin, Lee, let's start with, first of all, what is the Job Training Center? The Job Training Center, Bo, is a, a new department here at LCC. We're focused specifically on helping folks in our community gain skills for meaningful employment. We offer short-term training programs designed to get our participants prepared for in-demand jobs in our area. These jobs typically don't require any kind of education outside of high school, but they do have necessary skills that we need for success. So the Job Training Center is truly a win-win for the community, both for employers and potential employees. We work with local employers in the area to see what positions and fields are hiring and then create short-term training to get people the skills that are successful for those jobs. So really, we create a bridge between people looking for employment and employers looking for people. What is key to the Job Training Center is that LCC recognizes that not everyone can pay or accommodate the schedule that is needed for a more formal education. So the Job Training Center is created to provide community members with non-credit options to get industry skills in a condensed format through short-term and rapid training. Well, that's so relevant. Thank you. So that's kind of what it is. Now, who's it for? Well, we're really focused on a specific group in our community. So we understand that Job Training Center participants are probably going to be those that can't afford a traditional college education. And all we do is we require that our participants have a high school diploma or a GED. So we're trying to help community members that can't afford a traditional education or can't accommodate the traditional college schedule that college demands. So we get a lot of single parents inquiring about our programs because they need to be at home with their kids during the day. A lot of times we get folks asking about our programs because they need a higher paying job to make ends meet and can't wait to get a two-year associate's degree in order to make that higher income. So as you see many times, people that come to the job training center are struggling in some capacity. So we typically use the slogan, change your life in two months. And that's because our programs are short, they're to the point, and they can get someone out of a bad situation and do a job quickly. That can lead to much needed and desired stability for our audience. In our pilot program, which was the technical support specialist program back in fall of last year, we had a single father in that cohort that brought his two kids and mother to the graduation ceremony. We also had a gentleman that was looking to change career fields because he had an injury and that prevented him from working in manual labor and that's really all he had known. And for our upcoming program, we've even had a couple of retirees reach out to us with interest simply because they want to re-enter the workforce, but they don't want to go back to school. So I guess all that to say is really that the Job Training Center isn't just for one type of person. We're here to support anybody in the community that is looking to get themselves stable employment, but can't afford to pay for the traditional education or accommodate the schedule for traditional education. I love that part, Lee. I mean, it is... But for this program, these individuals might not have the opportunity to have an instructional experience at Lansing Community College. And that's just a gateway to the credit-bearing courses, one-year certificate, two-year associate degrees. Yeah, I won't get ahead of myself here, but yeah, this is a highly relevant program. Thank you. Lee, how about funding? How, does, how, how would someone pay for this program? So as I mentioned, uh, we don't expect that our participants are going to be able to pay. If they can, that's great, but that's not our expectation. So we know most of our trainees can't afford the program. So what we do is we try to have a lot of funding sources available for them. So this could be through Capital Area Michigan Works, through Michigan Rehabilitation Services, through a self-pay payment plan, or other grants that we're able to find for them. 
As a matter of fact, we had that technical support specialist program last fall, and not a single person out of that eight-person cohort paid for the program. So it was free of cost for every single participant. Wonderful. So if someone isn't sure how to apply for any of those funding sources, because that can be kind of a challenging way to fund your education, we encourage them to just reach out to us, and we'll point them in the right direction to get with those agencies. What's nice about the agencies, too, though, is that many times they have a lot of other services that our participants would find helpful while they're taking the training. So just a couple examples that I can think of is that last fall we had a participant qualify for child care assistance. So they were able to have folks watch their kids while they were going through the program. That's just one example, but we also had participants that were in need of transportation, electronics, or other things that were necessary to succeed, and they were able to get some help with those through those funding organizations. I love how diverse the funding streams are for this. So many people in the community uh, have such different situations that they face, and it sounds like you're doing everything you can to try to find a, a funding source for them. What if someone doesn't qualify for for some of these funding opportunities, can they still participate in some of these programs? Yeah, absolutely. We'd never turn someone away if they can pay out of pocket. We would just know that that's kind of the exception to the rule, considering we would expect our audience to not be able to pay. But that being said, we are working to set up some self-pay options for folks that can. Yep, and we're finding uh, that to be the case with some of the participants, especially the retirees that I mentioned earlier. Uh, that's something we, we didn't necessarily expect when we started the Job Training Center is that we would have some retirees reaching out to us that want to enter the workforce. A lot of times they're able right. to pay out of pocket, but they're simply gravitating to the Job Training Center because they don't desire to go back to school and get that full degree. Right, makes perfect sense. Now, you mentioned something about the um, pilot program in the fall. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So our pilot program last fall was a technical support specialist program. So this was really designed to ready folks for entry-level work in IT. So this is a growing field right now, especially with the pandemic. More people are working from home. There's an increase in need for IT support. So that program really helped prepare people to get jobs such as a help desk specialist or a PC technician. So these would be the people that you might call to help troubleshoot technology issues or help set up your computer at work. And what's interesting about this field is it requires a very unique skill set, but not necessarily a formal education, especially at that entry level. So we've had a lot of people out there that enjoy technology, they're technologically savvy, and they would enjoy working in the field, but they don't necessarily know how to get started. So the technical support specialist program really helped familiarize themselves with that field, uh, left them with three industry-recognized credentials in the field, and gave them really what they needed to start a job in a rather high-paying field. And, And... most entry-level positions in IT paid anywhere from 20 to $24 an hour and have great growth potential. See, now that is just fantastically. I mean, folks who start out in a, as you said earlier, kind of a, maybe facing some challenges in life, having the opportunity to exit a program in such a short period of time, making that kind of money is absolutely stellar. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, having heard you talk a little bit about that, it sounds like a Sounds like a hard program, though. (laughs) Yeah, I I would agree. I I wouldn't necessarily want to take it myself or be successful. But uh, so not to beat around the bush, but it was a challenging program for the participants. Um, But what really was impactful to me to watch this happen is that every single participant completed the program successfully and several already have jobs. Really, when I look back at that, I think really their dedication was what I took most from that. So you were at our graduation celebration, Bo. It was a really memorable experience and even an emotional experience for the participants and those that ran the program. 
it wasn't a required event in any way, but it was something small we wanted to do for them just to recognize those accomplishments. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have attendance required, so I really didn't know if anybody was going to show up at all and didn't necessarily expect great attendance. Mm -hmm. But every single person in that cohort showed up to that right. graduation celebration. They brought their family members to support them. It was quite the sight. I mean, the room was yeah. packed. We had small kids running around who were there to support <laughs> their parents. We had siblings showing up to support their brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. and we had parents showing up to support their kids. Mm -hmm. It was just so nice to see the pride and sense of accomplishment that all those participants had and the folks that were there to support them. The fact that they showed up to the ceremony alone really told me how dedicated they mm -hmm. were to improving their lives. So really, all in all, that first program really exemplified to me what the Job Training Center is all about, that we don't have a one-size-fits-all demographic. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking to improve your income and your livelihood, it could be a good fit for you. Yeah, it was, it was moving. I, I truly, I, I did not expect that either. To see the expressions on their faces, they were proud of themselves. They were, mm -hmm. if, for a good reason, and they were excited about their future. So it was incredibly rewarding. What other feels, Lee, other than IT, can the job training center offer programs in? Yeah, so we are, again, we're a newer department. So we, we started in IT just because it's a it, very in-demand field, but we're currently developing some other programs. One is administrative assistant. Uh, we're expecting to pilot that in the summer. And then we're also working on a bookkeeping program to Great. pilot in the fall. Great. What's important, I think, to know about the job training center is that we try to make sure that all of our programs have a significant number of job openings in the area. We certainly don't want to put people through a program that then doesn't have the jobs for them at the end. So we talk to local employers and nearly all employers in our area require administrative support mm -hmm. and many have accounts receivable, accounting or credit departments. So we think both of those programs, administrative assistant and bookkeeping, are going to transfer well to our local companies. Great. One other important thing that I'd like to mention that the Job Training Center provides is English as a second language courses for non-credit. So these courses are roughly eight weeks in length, and they're really designed to prepare our non-native English speakers in the community to enter LCC's academic programs or the workplace if they don't necessarily want to pursue a formal education afterwards. We're currently seeing an influx of refugees in Michigan. And they're naturally finding language to be a barrier uh, to both career and education. So to help those folks that are struggling, we have several ESOL courses that we currently offer. And we're looking to develop more throughout 2023 to assist the growing need in the community. That's fantastic. You know, one of the pain points within, well, across the country is a capacity, you know, workforce. So to upskill individuals with an opportunity to become active participants in the workforce is fantastic. How do these ESOL courses differ from what would be offered via free community resources? Yeah, there's a lot of free community resources out there for folks that are trying to improve their English language skills. But I would say what makes ours a bit different is that we really try to we integrate those basics, but we go a lot more in depth. Specifically, we try to offer lessons that prepare our learners to raise their language skills to the level that is needed for success at Lansing Community College in the credit bearing courses. But we also are working this year to offer field or industry-specific ESOL courses. So some examples would be healthcare, IT, manufacturing, and business. So these additional courses uh, would really help prepare non-native English speakers for jobs in these areas or to enter LCC's academic program. So mm -hmm. we understand that everybody wants an education. Some people just want to get a paycheck. And so these courses are really designed to allow for both of those avenues to be successful. 
So these field-specific courses, we're also going to partner them with the Job Training Center mm-hmm. uh, program. So thinking back to that technical support right. specialist program that we ran, we anticipate being able to offer that same program for non-native English speakers mm-hmm. in the coming year. Great. What that'll really do is allow us to support the influx of refugees in Michigan and in our local community, and we're going to be able to help them on their path towards improving their livelihood as well, whether it be through employment or through furthering their education at LCC. You know, you said something that really resonated with me, and that's you work with employers, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but, you know, listening to the voice of the customer or industry, it's like, you know, what do we need how can we help you? To answer that, you know, do local employers know about the Job Training Center or how do you work with local employers? So we certainly work with local employers for all of our programs. We're trying to get the word out as much as we can about the Job Training Center right now. But we understand that just as we have people that are struggling to find employment in the community, we have employers struggling to find people Mm -hmm. that are qualified to fill the jobs that they have. So the Job Training Center, uh, I really think of it as something that could be a direct pipeline for our local organization. So we've got a bunch of eager people to looking to enter the workforce, mm-hmm. and this can create a pool of candidates for employers that they might not have considered before. So we work with local employers for each of our programs, like I said, based on employer needs in the field. So going back to that technical support specialist program, we partnered with TechSmith, Tech wow. Systems, Neogen, wow. about the openings they had in IT. And those companies actually came and spoke with our participants about job openings that, that they had. Sense. And those are all very well-known and well-respected oh, yeah. employers in our area. Top shelf. Yep. So those participants were able to get exposure to local employers throughout the program. And these employers were able to get a first look at participants. So these are folks that are going to be highly employable upon completion of the training. Mm -hmm. And it really is a great recruiting tool for our local organizations to get a first look at those potential employees. Interestingly as well, a lot of the employers that we talked about, or talked about the Job Training Center too, talked about how uh, we really align with their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, which is something that a lot of organizations are really putting at the forefront of their plans in the the coming years. So we're happy to work with those organizations and support trainees that the community really falls into that minority demographic that employers are looking for. So really, we're trying to get the word out to local employers about the Job Training Center because Mm -hmm. it truly is a win-win, again, for the potential employee and for the employer. So... I'd encourage any employer that feels that they would like more information about the Job Training Center and might even want to partner with us to go ahead and contact us. Wow, fabulous. Well, that's that's such a strong strategic approach. So you know, to that end, how does uh, how does someone with an interest or, or, or even questions uh, get in touch with, with you, Lee? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that someone could get in contact with us. Uh, first and foremost, I'd encourage people to visit our website, which is lcc.edu slash JTC training. And at that website, you're going to find email addresses and phone numbers for both myself and Heather Marshall. She is the Job Training Center Coordinator. And you can also just send us an email at jtc at lcc.edu, or you can call 517-483-9853. And again, I'd encourage any employer looking for more information about partnering to give us a call, and anybody that might think they could benefit from exploring how our Job Training Center can help improve their livelihood just go ahead and reach out and we'd be happy to talk with you. Wow. Thank you so much, Lee, for sharing some really fantastic information about the Job Training Center and essentially how it can really change lives. Just great info. And thank you all for the pleasure and privilege of your time. This has been your host, Bo Garcia. I look forward to sharing time with you again soon. Have a tremendous day.
This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.